When it comes to the state of the church, you might be surprised by the most recent statistics. According to the most recent data from a 2021 Pew Research Center poll, the Protestant church here in America has been in a constant state of decline, and that's been happening over the past 10 years. As a matter of fact, the poll that was published just this last December helps us to see that the Protestant church, and just to be clear, the Protestant church refers to Baptists and Methodists, Lutherans and Presbyterians, as well as non-denominational churches. Uh, but the Protestant church, uh, which includes all of these groups, uh, the, the, the attendance at Protestant churches has dropped 10 percentage points over the last 10 years, or more simply put, the Protestant church is uh, declining in numbers here in America. Now, in order to understand this ongoing decline that's happening here within the American church, well, we only, only need to look as far as the leaders who continue to announce their own failures of faith. For example, it was back in 2019 when Hillsong's Marty Simpson, he informed his followers on Instagram that he was losing his faith. And listen, it didn't take long before he went on to assure his fans that Christianity, in his opinion, <clears throat> well, it's just another religion, just one of many different religions. In the same year, Dave Gass, the lead pastor at Grace Family Fellowship, he announced his failure of faith by tweeting this, and I quote, after 40 years of being a devout follower, 20 of those being an evangelical pastor, I am walking away from the faith. How sad is that? There was also a guy named Joshua Harris. He was the author of the bestseller, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Well, he went on to kiss his wife goodbye after separating from her in 2019. And then he went on to announce, and I quote him, I am not a Christian. In 2020, John Steingard, who was the lead singer of the Christian punk band Hawk Nelson, he announced his failure of faith as he posted this statement on Instagram, I no longer believe in God. Yeah, he no longer believes in God. And in 2021, Paul Maxwell, who was not only a moody professor, but also a contributing author for the website Desiring God, well, he decided that it was time for him to then publish his failure of faith by informing us that he's happy. And why? Well, because he's no longer a Christian. He's happy because he's no longer a Christian. And as we consider these examples of uh, leaders who have failed in their faith, but sad to say that this is really just a scratch on the surface of all the Protestant leaders who have fallen away from the Christian faith over the course of the church uh, age. And with that being the case, you know, it's really no wonder then why the church here in America is in a state of decline. If all of these leaders are falling away from the faith, if all of these leaders are experiencing failures of faith, then it only makes sense that so will the people who they follow. And knowing that we're all just a few bad decisions away from becoming backslidden believers, well, I believe that we would do well to consider Peter's failure of faith. And in this way, we might learn how to stay close to our Savior throughout the rest of our days. Now, as we make our way through the text before us today, we'll begin to see, first of all, that a failure of faith begins when we follow at a distance. Secondly, we'll learn that a failure of faith occurs when we fellowship with disobedience. Thirdly, and finally, we'll learn that a failure of faith happens when we forget our dependence. 
Well, with this as the outline, if you will, let's open our Bibles now to Luke chapter 22. Here we find Luke. He's recounting Peter's failure of faith. And as you make your way to the 22nd chapter of Luke's gospel account, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll help you to remember it was in our study last week. That's when we learned about the night when Judas, the apostle Judas, betrayed our Savior Jesus. Not only that, but Luke also described the way that the apostle Peter then tried to protect the Lord against those who came to arrest Jesus. But then, over the course of a few hours, Peter's faith, you know, the faith that led him to take a stand with Jesus, his faith then gave way to fear as he went on to deny his connection with Christ Jesus. And as we consider this failure of faith, well, it's my hope that we'll all avoid the mistakes made by the apostle Peter. And with this as the goal, let's pick up our study of Luke chapter 22. I want to focus your attention beginning at verse 54. Here Luke writes, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now here in these verses, we find Luke, he's recounting this day when Peter denied his relational connection with Christ Jesus. And as we consider the way that Peter denied Jesus three times, well, I can't help but to wonder what happened to the incredible confidence that led Peter to insist that he was ready to die with the Lord Jesus Christ. What happened to the zealous faith of this apostle who stepped forward to defend the Lord with a sword? What caused this man of action to cower in fear at the insignificant interrogation of a simple servant girl? With these questions in mind, I want to take a closer look at Luke's account here. And so if you would, let's back up and begin reading once again at verse 54. Here Luke writes, having arrested him, speaking of Jesus, and so Jesus here is under arrest, and they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter, Peter followed at a distance. Now, as we consider this moment when the Lord was arrested, there should be no doubt in our minds here that this was actually the last thing that the apostles were expecting to see. Remember, they were still operating from the assumption that the Lord Jesus was about to usher in the kingdom of God. They were assuming that this was the time when Christ would take the throne of King David. That being the case, they were taken off guard. They were completely surprised to see our Savior being hauled off in handcuffs. It's for this reason that the disciples all suffered a failure of faith as they forsook him. Uh, Mark even confirms this in the 14th chapter of his gospel account. There he informs us that they all forsook him and fled. They all forsook him and fled. 
The disciples who were there with Christ Jesus at the time of his arrest, they ended up suffering a failure of faith as they fled from those who had come to arrest our Savior. You see, they didn't want to get arrested either. And so they fled. And we must not forget that this was actually a fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus previously presented just earlier that same evening when he assured his apostles that they would all be made to stumble because of him. That's what he told them. You're all going to be made to stumble because of me. And while most of them were quick to flee from the scene, the apostle Peter decided that he was going to follow the angry mob, but he decided to follow at a distance. Let's consider again how Peter put it there, or how Luke puts it here in the, uh, in the second half of verse 54. Here, Luke tells us that Peter followed at a distance. Peter didn't flee. And yet at the same time, he was following Jesus at a distance. That word distance, well, it's translated from a Greek word, which can also be rendered remote. He was following remotely. Or he was following afar off. That's another way to translate the same Greek word. It's for this reason that John Nelson Darby and Robert Young, they both render the Greek in this way. Peter followed afar off. He followed, but he was following at a distance. The apostle Peter wanted to continue following Christ, and yet he wanted to follow Jesus without risking arrest. He wanted to follow Jesus, but he wanted to make sure that, you know, he was pragmatic about this. And, and so he was trying to avoid this, this connection between him and Christ, which would lead him to imprisonment. Now, this decision, it made pragmatic sense, and yet it was also Peter's first step towards a failure of faith. in a similar yet spiritual way that, listen, there are many in the church today who are also heading towards a failure of faith. The reason why? Well, it's because they've decided to follow Jesus just at a distance. They're still following Jesus, but I'm going to stay home and watch online. They want to follow Jesus, but, you know, I mean, you know, daily devotions, so hard. They want to follow Jesus, but you know, if I talk about Jesus at work, I might get fired. So I don't want to do that. They want to follow Jesus, but you know, they don't want to really share their faith with, with, with the other kids in class because you know, the professor, you know, might fail me. It's crucial for every Christian to realize that there's a clear correlation between our commitment to follow Christ and the fidelity of our faith. There is a clear connection between our commitment to follow Christ closely and the fidelity of our faith. And in order to make my case, I want to consider what it means then to faithfully follow the Lord. If you would hold your place here in the gospel of Luke, I'd like you to back up in the same gospel. Let's back up to Luke chapter 9 and consider something that we've already studied. As you make your way back to the ninth chapter of Luke's gospel account, well, I want to take a moment to point out here that those who follow Christ they're going to find themselves on a very narrow path that's filled with daily difficulties. Following Jesus Christ is difficult, and the reason why is because it's a narrow path of righteousness. It's not the broad road that leads to destruction. It's a narrow path. 
And there are times when many believers, as they begin to travel the narrow path of righteousness, they begin to think the cost of following Jesus is too great. I'm giving up too much. Some Christians are concerned that their connection with Christ will end up costing them income if they don't get all of the promotions at work they wanted. Others are worried that they might be marginalized by those who think that the Christian faith is just strange. And so rather than risking rejection, there are those who begin to just follow Jesus just at a distance. Now, if this sounds like something you struggle with, then I encourage you to consider the warning that the Lord presents here in Luke chapter 9. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 23. Here the Lord Jesus declares, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Now here in these verses we find the Lord, he's challenging every person to follow him and that's what he calls every person to do, to become one of his followers. And just to be clear, Christ Jesus then encourages them to realize that those who truly want to follow him, well, we must be ready to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. Now, what does that mean? Well, to put it simply, it means this, that we are called to crucify our earthly desires for the will of the Lord. We all have our earthly desires, we all have our personal plans, and yet, There are times when the Lord Jesus will call us to do something in conflict with our own desires. And those who want to truly follow Jesus must deny themselves and crucify those desires. And in this way, uh, we begin to live a life that's in line with his holy instructions. With this as the goal, we would all do well to follow the Lord Jesus as closely as we can, even if what this means is that we must deny things that we desire. I like the way that Jesus put it in John chapter 12. There he declares, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. In other words, listen, those who truly want to follow the Lord Jesus should become his servant. You can't claim to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and not serve him. Because the servants of Jesus are with him. And listen, the servants of our Savior aren't too worried about being rejected for the way we follow the Lord. And the reason why is because we're too busy following the Lord. If my focus is on following the Lord Jesus Christ, then I'm not really paying a whole lot of attention to how the people, you know, are criticizing me or, or, or making fun of me for following him. Are we too concerned about the criticisms of others to actually become a follower of Jesus Christ? 
If so, then chances are you're following at a distance. You're staying on the fringe of the church. You're really not plugging in in the way that a servant truly plugs in. And if that sounds like your life, I encourage you, stop living on the fringe and and stop following at a distance. Because listen, those who choose to follow the Lord at a distance, they're heading for a failure of faith. Now this brings us to our second point, because listen, while a failure of faith begins when we start following Jesus at a distance, well, a failure of faith is almost guaranteed when we find ourselves fellowshipping with disobedience. To explain what I mean, let's make our way back to Luke chapter 22. Here we find Peter. He's now spending time in the courtyard of the high priest's home. And if you would, let's back up and begin reading at verse 54. Here again, Luke writes, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him, but he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, as we take another look at these verses, we find the apostle Peter here, he's denying the Lord Jesus Christ as he sat there in the courtyard of the high priest's home. Just to be clear, the the word courtyard found there in verse 55, it's translated from a Greek word which was used of any uncovered space uh, around the house, which was then enclosed by a wall. And according to Thayer, uh, the dwellings of those who belonged to the higher class there in Israel, they usually had two courtyards. One would be an exterior between the door and the street. And then there would be the interior courtyard, uh, which was surrounded by the buildings of the dwelling itself. And as for Luke's account here, uh, most teachers believe that this was the interior courtyard, which was there in the middle of the home of the high priest. So Jesus is hauled into the home of the high priest where he's being uh, basically interrogated. And Peter makes himself into the interior courtyard of the high priest's home. From this, we can see that Peter somehow successfully blended in with the angry mob that arrested our Messiah. Between the Garden of Gethsemane and the courtyard of the high priest, somehow Peter worked himself into this, this crowd. And not only that, he, as, he, as he made his way into the courtyard of the high priest, we find him then sitting down together with those who were kindling a fire. Think about that for a moment. At first, he's following at a distance as he's walking with the angry mob, and now he's sitting down, finding a place of comfort among these unbelievers. Notice again there at the end of verse 55 where Luke tells us that Peter sat among them. Peter had not only blended in with the unbelievers, but he was comfortable sitting down together with those who were preparing to persecute our Savior. I like the way that Mark sums it up in the 14th chapter of his gospel account. It's verse 54 where he tells us that Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. 
From this, we can see that Peter's decision to follow Jesus at a distance brought him into the courtyard of an unrighteous religious ruler where he began to warm himself at the fire of unbelievers. And as he began to relax and recline with the servants and the soldiers of this unrighteous ruler, well, it didn't take long for Peter to start pretending like he didn't even know the Lord. And from this, we can see how those who fellowship at the fires of disobedience, well, they're headed for a failure of faith. To prove my point, uh, let's take another look at the denial of Peter, beginning with this first one that we find in verse 56 and 57. Here we learn that a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man also was with him, but he denied him saying, woman, I do not know him. Here we learn about the moment when Peter first decided that it was best for him to deny the Lord Jesus. And we should notice that this conversation took place there at the fire in the courtyard of the high priest. It was there where this certain servant girl somehow recognized Peter as being one of the Lord's disciples. And we aren't told how she recognized him. But truth be told, unbelievers typically know when they're talking to a believer. Sometimes it's just by the words we choose to use. Sometimes it's because we're wearing the living epistle t-shirt. You know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, just because of, of the way we interact with people. But believers tend to know when they're around unbelievers. Paul, I think, does a pretty good job explaining it when he tells us that believers smell like death to unbelievers. You might not know that. Believers smell like death to unbelievers. And sometimes just simply because of our hygiene, but uh, I'm not judging. But you have to understand that there's a spiritual recognition. And, and, and I think we all recognize it. There's times when we meet someone for the very first time and we just kind of know. We just know we're talking to another believer. And then, and then sure enough, you know, within enough time, we, we discover, yeah, they're, they're a believer. But the same is true for unbelievers. They, they recognize when they're talking to a believer. And so it might be that this, this gal who was a servant of the, uh, the high priest there just, just kind of saw it in the way he talked or in the way that he interacted. But Peter lied as he denied the Lord Jesus. And listen, this was just the beginning of his denials. As a matter of fact, look with me there at verse 58. Here Luke tells us, after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Now here we find Peter continuing to co-mingle with those who had arrested our Savior. And it wasn't long before another servant girl stepped forward in order to ask him about his connection with Christ Jesus. But rather than admitting that he was an apostle of, of the Lord, Peter once again denied knowing him. And while Peter used more formal language the first time he denied the Lord, this second denial was much more emphatic as he insisted that he had nothing to do with Jesus Christ. He began with kind of formal, I don't know him, to most certainly not, I do not. He was emphatic about it in this second denial. And we should also take a closer look at the third denial. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 59 where Luke writes, then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed saying, surely this fellow also was with him for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. 
Now, I want to stop right there because it's important to note here that Luke is only presenting us with a portion of Peter's third denial. As a matter of fact, Luke here kind of cleans it up. He churches it up a bit. Matthew gives us a little bit more detail about this third denial. It's in the 26th chapter of Matthew's gospel account where we learn that this third person comes along and points out that Peter was giving himself away in the way that he was speaking. And he basically says, your language betrays you. We know you're a follower of Jesus just by the way you talk. And according to Matthew, that's when Peter then begins to curse and swear as he continues to not deny his connection with Christ. Yeah, yeah, Peter began cursing like a Lutheran. I don't know what that means. But he's cursing and swearing and, and, and insisting that he does not have any connection with Christ. And in this way, we can see how Peter was continuing to try to blend in with the unbelievers who were there at that courtyard. Now, as we consider the way that Peter denies the Lord Jesus Christ there in the courtyard of the high priest, we must not fail to forget here, it was just a few hours earlier when the same apostle insisted that he would rather die than deny the Lord. Yeah, it was just a few hours earlier. And while it was easy for him to make the claim that he would die before deny, it was easy to make that claim when he stood in the midst of those who shared the same convictions. But those convictions quickly gave way to a failure of faith shortly after he decided to warm himself at the fire with unbelievers. And as we consider the way that Peter's convictions were affected by the people that he was spending time with, it's crucial for every Christian to realize that the fidelity of our faith will also be impacted by those we spend time with. I like the way that Paul put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There he declares this. He says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He's saying to the Christians in Corinth, I'm speaking this to your shame. Because there's people out there who don't, who don't know God. And yet you're allowing them to impact the way you live your life. This isn't to their shame. They're living like unbelievers. This is to your shame for allowing them to impact the way you live. And with that being the case, Peter, I'm sorry, Paul here says, do not be deceived. Now, whenever we see a statement like that in the scriptures, do not be deceived, it's because this is something that would, you know, easily deceive us. This is something that many people are deceived about. Do not be deceived, he says. Evil company corrupts good habits. The company we keep will affect the habits that we develop. Those who find their fellowship with believers who are fighting the good fight of faith will begin to develop a firm foundation of faith as they learn also how to fight the good fight of faith. Conversely, those who spend their time fellowshipping with those who deny the Lord Jesus Christ will soon discover how evil company always corrupts good habits. Do not be deceived, Christian. 
Those who choose to fellowship the fires of disobedience are heading towards a failure of faith. Because when we hang out with disobedient people, we start becoming disobedient people. And listen, if you think that you're the person who's spiritually strong enough to find your fellowship with unbelievers while maintaining a close walk with the Lord, I encourage you to consider the counsel that the Apostle Peter actually presented after his failure of faith. And with this as the focus, hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke, and let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. You see, it's here in the fourth chapter of 1 Peter where we find the Apostle Peter challenging those who trust in Jesus Christ. He's encouraging them to realize that we've been called to separate ourselves from those who will not repent of their sins. We've been called to end our fellowship with those who are still disobedient. I want to consider how the apostle Peter put it here in first Peter chapter four. Look with me there beginning at verse one. Here, Peter declares, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Here we find the apostle Peter, you know, this guy who had a failure of faith and then came back after the fact and wrote these very words. And he's now helping every believer to realize that those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ should also stop following those who are being swept away in a flood of depravity. Now, don't get me wrong, because we've been called to reach unbelievers. We haven't been called to separate ourselves entirely from unbelievers. Certainly not. But we've been called to find our fellowship with other believers. The believer who maintains their fellowship as they spend time at the social fires kindled by disobedient unbelievers, they're heading for a failure of faith as they continue to fellowship with disobedience. Christian, listen, the, the people we used to party with, well, they should think that we've become pretty strange. And the reason why is because we no longer want to go to happy hour after work. The unbelievers that we used to spend all of our time with should think that we've become strange. Or let me put it to you like this, they should think that we've become strangers. Yeah, we're strangers to them now, why? because they don't understand the path that we're on anymore. We're no longer following them to the bar or to the club or to the house parties. We're no longer going to those places that, where we were all depressed and drinking depressants. And they're like, why don't you want to come be depressed with us anymore? Because I found joy in Jesus. Why do I want to go back to that? And yet, even in the midst of their own sadness, they think that we've lost our minds because we're following the one who has saved us. With this as the goal, I want to remind you that we've been called to assemble together with those who trust in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it's in Hebrews chapter 10 
where Paul declares, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Christian, listen, those who want to maintain the fidelity of our faith, we need to realize that we've not only been called to separate ourselves from the courtyard of carnality, but we must also become those believers who are consistently connecting with the Christians here at our fellowship of faith. And not only that, but as we continue to assemble together with those who are faithfully following Jesus, Paul calls us to provoke one another, to stir up love and good works so that we might serve the Lord together more and more as we see the day approaching. We shouldn't be meeting together less and less, but more and more. And in this way, we'll help one another to avoid the failure of faith that occurs whenever we find ourselves fellowshipping with disobedience. Now, this brings us to our third and final point, because listen, a failure of faith not only begins when we follow Jesus at a distance, and a a failure of faith is not only certain when we fellowship with disobedience, but a failure of faith is sure to happen when we forget about our dependence on the Holy Spirit. And with this as the focus, let's make our way back to the gospel of Luke. I want to turn your attention back to Luke chapter 22, where we learn about the root cause that resulted in Peter's failure of faith. If you would, let's pick up our study beginning there in the middle of verse 60. There Luke writes, immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Here in these verses, we learn about this moment when Peter finally remembered the word of the Lord. This, of course, occurred at the very moment when the rooster crowed. And as we take a closer look at Luke's account, we must not fail to notice here that the rooster crowed as Peter was still speaking. While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And remember, this is the third denial. So what was he saying? He was cussing. He was swearing. And, and he's just, just going off, trying to sound like a sailor. And that's when the, the rooster's like, <clears throat> excuse me, but cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> In the midst of this deceptive denial, the rooster crows and it triggers his memory. Peter remembers the words that the Lord had spoken just earlier that same evening. Just to be clear, I want to back up here in Luke chapter 22. I want to direct your attention back to verse 31 because it's there where the Lord earlier that same evening says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus presenting Peter with a word of warning, but rather than receiving the prophetic word of God, Peter denied this divine guidance. And as we consider the way that Peter ignored this word of warning, we must not fail to realize that this was the decision that set the stage for Peter's failure of faith. He first rejects the the prophetic word of Jesus 
And from there, next thing you know, he's following at a distance. And before you know it, he's denying the Lord there at the, the fires of disobedience. And please trust me when I tell you that if this is true of Peter, this, the same thing will happen to everyone who decides to lean on their own understanding rather than following the word of God. To make my case, let's take another look here at Luke's account. I want to focus your attention once again, beginning in the middle of verse 60. Here again, Luke writes, immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered. Peter remembered the word of the Lord. That word remembered, well, it's translated from a Greek word which was used of that which causes memory recall, or or it refers to something that is brought to remembrance. And, you know, this this brings up the, the concept of memory and you know, where this information is stored. And, and it's important to understand that, listen, good news is we all have photographic memory. Every single one of us. When people brag about having a photographic memory, it's just like, well, we all have that. We all have photographic memory. The issue is recall. The, the issue is remembering the information that's there. How do you bring to mind those things that your brain has, has taken uh, and stored. And, and I, I'm, I'm here to tell you that the older I get, the, the, the more I forget stuff. The harder it is to retrieve that information, you know, and you're, you're looking at that person and you're just kind of like, what is this person's name? You know, and you're just scrolling through the, the oh, it's Brenda. Okay. No, I'd never forget my wife's name. But listen, you know, here we have Peter recalling something. Why? Because of the trigger. What was the trigger? The rooster. The rooster crowed, and all of a sudden, bam, Peter remembered what Jesus said. That word remembered implies forgetfulness, that something had been forgotten. He forgot what was said. Peter had already forgotten about the warning that Jesus presented just a few hours prior. And if I had to guess why, it was probably because he didn't really believe what Jesus said. We know he didn't believe it because he told Jesus, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I would never deny you. Fast forward a few hours, just as Jesus said. If if, If Peter truly believed the warning that Jesus had presented, then he might have made different decisions that evening. If the apostle Peter actually believed that Satan was about to sift him like wheat, then the chances are he wouldn't have been so quick to enter into that courtyard. If Peter truly believed that the Lord Jesus was speaking the truth to him, you know, when he warned him about his failure of faith, then he wouldn't have been so surprised at sunrise as he denied the Lord for the third time. And as we consider... Peter's failure of faith, we would do well to remember that the word of God is always more reliable than our opinions. The word of God is always true. It is always right. And where our opinions differ, we are wrong. Therefore, it would be ridiculous for us to lean on our own finite understanding. 
This was the point that King Solomon made in Proverbs chapter three, where he declares, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Christian, listen. The believer who is leaning on their own understanding is simultaneously following in the foolish footsteps of Peter. Because that's what Peter was doing. He was leaning on his own understanding. Sure, the Lord Jesus told him that he was going to deny him three times, but now Peter knew better. Did he? Absolutely not. Listen, the disciples of Christ who decide to spend their time depending upon their own opinions, their own POVs, they're concurrently concluding that they know better than the Word of God. How ridiculous is that? And it's sad to say that there are many in the church today who are actually, even today, heading for a failure of faith simply because they've placed their faith in their personal opinions rather than in the truth of God's word. If this sounds like something you struggle with, then I encourage you to remember something that Jesus said in John chapter 8. It's there where he says this. He says, if you abide in your opinions. Oh, wait, no, that's not. Misread that. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What, uh, what's the basis for our freedom? The truth of God's word. How do we access that freedom? Abiding in God's word. The Lord provided us with his holy word so that we can escape from the personal prison of our fallen mind. Therefore, rather than relying on our own personal opinions as we set out to make some decisions, let's instead seek the scriptures for the instructions that we need as we learn how to abide in the word of the Lord. And as we learn how to abide in God's word, then we begin to depend upon the divine mind of God. In this way, we fail-proof our faith from the self-deceptive decisions that will always lead us away from the Lord. Conversely, those who fail to abide in the word of God end up making the, the same mistake that Peter made. And the reason why is because, listen, those who are quick to dismiss the warnings that we find in God's word, well, they end up deceiving themselves as they depend upon their own limited understanding. And to prove my point, let's consider a few of the warnings that the Lord has already provided for us living here in the church age. I'll remind you, it's in 2 Timothy chapter 4. There we learn that those who will not endure the sound doctrine of God's word, they will turn their ears away from the truth as they're turned aside to fictional fables. That's a warning presented to us here in the church age. That if you will not endure the sound doctrine of God's word, then you will be turned away to fiction, to fabrications, to theology that's nothing more uh, than just made up fantasy. James also tells us in his epistle, it's in James chapter one, where he warns us about those who hear the word of God, but fail to become doers of what they heard. And according to James, these people actually deceive themselves. Yeah. If you will not become a doer of what you hear from God's word, you are actively deceiving yourself. 
And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul warns us about the latter days when he says many will depart from the faith. Why? Well, it's because they start listening to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now think about that. Those who will not abide in the word of God are no longer walking in the truth. If you're not walking in the truth, then you're no longer walking in the freedom of the Lord. If you're not walking in the freedom of the Lord, you become what? A slave of the devil. A servant of demons. To sum all of this up with simplicity, you know, the Christians who are leaning on their own understanding are heading for a failure of faith. It's just a matter of time. And it's sad to say that, that, like Peter, many won't accept this until the day they find themselves denying the Lord Jesus Christ in the courtyard of carnality as the rooster starts crowing. Then we go, oh, now I get it. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been nice for you to just learn the lesson before learning the lesson? Some people have to learn it the hard way, I get it. But God help us that we would just Believe what God's word says and adjust accordingly before we find ourselves warming ourselves at the fires of unbelief. With this as the goal, I want to consider something that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, you see it's here in the fifth chapter of Ephesians where we find Paul encouraging every Christian to remember that those who want to avoid a failure of faith, we must remember that we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit. You will not walk in obedience, according to God's word, in the power of your own flesh because your flesh is powerless. Our fallen nature will never lead us into a life of obedience with the word of God. That's why we must always depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's consider how Paul puts it here in Ephesians chapter 5. Look with me there beginning at verse 15. Here Paul declares, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore... Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Rather than leaning on our own limited understanding, we should instead walk circumspectly, or in other words, we're, we're to walk as diligent disciples as we learn how to depend upon the divine guidance that the Lord provides through his indwelling spirit. Now, just to be clear, uh, the born-again believer has actually become the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're a born-again believer, then the Holy Spirit uh, took up residence within you at the very moment of your saving faith. In this way, the Holy Spirit now provides us with the ability to comprehend the Word of God. You know, before uh, we were uh, being led by the Holy Spirit, well, the Bible made no sense to us. You could read the Bible all day long and not have a clue what's being said. Because the, the carnal mind is not receptive to the things of God. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, now we can understand the word of God 
The Holy Spirit provides us with the ability to comprehend God's word so that then we can begin to discover what God's will is for us. And with that being the case, the Christian who wants to avoid a future failure of faith, well, they'll do well to seek the divine guidance of the Holy Spirit as we continue studying the scriptures. With this as the goal, I want to take a moment to ask, am I walking circumspectly? I encourage you to search your own life with the same question. Are you walking circumspectly? Are we depending upon the divine guidance of God? Or are we still leaning on our own understanding as we foolishly follow in the footsteps of Peter? Now, in order to answer this question, I want to consider uh, the, the evidence that Peter, or, I'm sorry, Paul presents here in Ephesians chapter 5. I want to consider the evidence that, that Paul presents uh, and, and the, the evidence that manifests in the lives of those who are truly walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, according to Paul here, those who are truly empowered by the Holy Spirit, we begin to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as we sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. In other words, if you're truly walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, then you will love to worship the Lord. You will love to sing his praises. And not just alone, but together with the rest of our Christian community. We will love to be here at church and singing psalms and hymns together as we make melody in our hearts unto the Lord. You know, if, if showing up at church is just kind of like a drag and it's just kind of like, oh, I, guess, I guess it's my once, once a month time to go check the religious box and if that's your heart, you're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will lead you to, to love singing the praises of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but Paul also informs us that those who are truly empowered by the Holy Spirit will give thanks always for how many things? For all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. From this, we can see that the Spirit-filled Christian is a grateful believer and we're always ready to thank God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we recognize that, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Finally, Paul also points out here that those who are truly empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will want to submit to one another in the fear of God. Yeah, that's, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is truly guiding us that we desire to show up to our Christian community submitting to one another in the fear of God. The spirit-led saint becomes a believer who is happily serving others here within our fellowship of faith. If the idea of spending time serving the Lord here at your church is just kind of like, ah, one more thing, huh? Well, that's, that's flesh. That's carnality. The spirit-led saint loves submitting to one another in the fear of God. If these things are true of you, if you love praising the Lord and singing his praises with others, if you, if you are grateful and thankful and, and love submitting to one another uh, within the context of Christian community, then you can say, yeah, I'm a spirit-led believer. If these things are true of you, you can rejoice in knowing that you are truly walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but if you're truly walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, then you can rest assured that you're depending on the divine guidance of God. And if you're depending upon the divine guidance of God, then you can rejoice in knowing that he will give you the wisdom you need to avoid every future failure of faith. 
Now, as we begin to wrap up this study, it's my prayer that we would all learn a lesson from Peter's failure of faith. And as we recap the decisions that led up to his denial, we must not forget that every failure of faith begins whenever we start following Jesus at a distance. If you're following Jesus at a distance, listen, it's not going to get better until you start getting closer to the Lord. Every failure of faith becomes more certain whenever we start fellowshipping with disobedience. And the minute you find yourself at the fires of, of disobedience, it's time to wake up before the rooster crows. And listen, every failure of faith is sure to happen whenever we begin to forget about our dependence on the Lord. If you're forgetting about your need for the power of the Holy Spirit, well, then the failure of faith is inevitable. And it's possible that you're a believer who is somewhere in this list. Maybe you've been following at a distance for some time now, or it's possible that you've been fellowshipping at the fires of disobedience. It might be that you're leaning on your own understanding as you forget about your dependence on the Holy Spirit. If any of this is true of you, I encourage you, repent today. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Repent today. Return to the Lord today. Because once you start following at a distance, it's not long before you're sitting down with the unbelievers who are affecting your faith. So repent today and return to the Lord. And here's the good news about this. Those who draw near to the Lord, he promises that he will draw near to you. If you will simply draw near to the Lord today, he will draw near to you. Not only that, but as you return to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will restore your relationship with him and he will restore the time that was wasted as you were on the broad road that leads to destruction. Return to the Lord Jesus and allow him to restore that relationship. And, and as you do, you can rejoice in knowing that he will help you to avoid every future failure of faith. Let's pray.